I've been part of this church community here at Southridge for the past uh, 12 years. It can be said with pretty good reason that I am the, uh, the ultimate insider here. I grew up in a Christian home. I have relationships that go back like decades uh, here at Southridge, and I am a Mennonite, so I am used to the culture of our denomination here at Southridge. However, recently I had the unfamiliar and uncomfortable experience of being uh, an outsider when I moved to France three years ago uh, to go to school. Embracing the culture wasn't too difficult for me. It was a dream of mine to go, uh, to go to France for, for a long time. Uh, but the language, the language was, <laughs> was really hard. I remember one day I walked into a bakery, one of my first days there, and in French I was trying to order for lunch. I was trying to order a, uh, a sandwich and an orange juice, and I ended up ordering five baguettes and an espresso. And it was just, I, I couldn't say no because I was defeated three times by this cashier trying to cash me out. It was just, uh, things that kept happening over and over and over and over. I was a bit discouraged, so... I went to church the first day, found a church online. It was called uh, La Nouvelle Église Évangélique Baptiste de Reims, or Le Niber, as we affectionately uh, called it after a while. And this church was a cute little church of 50 people. I don't know if you believe in karma or not, but I really, uh, you know, the, the idea of kind of what you, what you give is what you receive back. But I had never given much in the way of welcoming, welcoming presence at Southridge. I was always kind of uh, on the back burner when it came to, to greeting new people and meeting new people. I was even a leader in my, uh, my youth group in high school for, for years, and it was just uh, something that uh, I was not good at, welcoming to people, because I didn't want to take risks there. But, uh, so I was pretty nervous going into my first day at this church because I just had not been welcoming, so why should I be welcomed? Uh, now, all of a sudden, the tables have turned. I need to sit at the table here at this new church. But to my utter surprise and delight, uh, they welcomed me with open arms, literally. I probably received 100 hugs that day from people I didn't even know before. I had toddlers all over me, genuinely loving me as a person they've never met before, but someone they could, uh, they could trust and, and they've been taught you know, well by this church community to, uh, to love and welcome strangers. Um, I even had one woman give me a jar of jam my first day at this church, which if you know anything about Southridge's greeting policy is a, a coincidence of divine proportions. But the best part of the first day here at the Nouvelle Église Evangelique Baptiste de Reims was uh, the pastor and a dozen other church congregation members invited me to lunch with them at a restaurant afterwards. Uh, and they asked me, they grilled me about my family, my background, my culture, uh, my school. And it felt great. I, f I felt needed, I felt encouraged, I felt wanted at this church, part of the community there. Uh, of course, by the time I left, my cold-hearted and cold-blooded business school graduate personality thought this was just a, a one-time marketing gimmick, you know, to kind of reel me into this church and, uh, you know, get me integrated before they kind of let me cast off with the rest of the congregation. But uh, they end up inviting me and everybody else to lunch every single Sunday for the next three years if I wanted to go. This lunch thing was such a tradition there. Uh, it was so amazing. Every Sunday, the entire congregation was invited to a restaurant or a picnic or someone's house to eat together. All visitors and, and churchgoers were welcome, and it was amazing. We gorged ourselves in home-cooked French cuisine and good conversation and a healthy dose of the Holy Spirit. I couldn't even really speak French here, honestly. I couldn't even speak French, and most of my brothers and sisters at this new church didn't even speak, didn't even speak English. Uh, but somehow we communicated and there was never any, uh, any mishap there. Uh, culturally, we had nothing in common either. I was raised in a Christian home in Canada, and many of the church and the congregation, my brothers and sisters in France, were um, uh, from Africa and the Middle East, immigrants from there. So we had nothing in common there. Uh, even, you know, our backgrounds were even more varied when you think about the fact that I have been in uh, our Canada. Canada here is multicultural, and we still have a lot of time, hard time integrating, you know, immigrants and helping them, giving them a good home in Canada. Uh, whereas in France, they're very monocultural and very Catholic. So to be going to a Protestant church, one of the few in France, as an immigrant, 
was uh, made them feel like outcasts. Uh, I, I saw that a lot, and it was very sad to see. But the fact that these people, these amazing people, did not have a lot didn't stop them from giving me everything they had, and it was uh, they shared lives with me each day. Uh, I think if you if you look behind me, I have some kind of uh, or on the slideshow you can see some uh, you can see some photos rolling of my uh, congregation and my friends back in France. Uh, I'm not going to refer to them, but it's just going to be uh, there for your for your viewing. Uh, my return to Canada and to Southridge during this past winter gave me a lot to think about in terms of hospitality. Uh, I questioned the strength of my faith uh, and whether, as uh, as our church opened up again after COVID, uh, whether I'd, or not I'd be able to welcome people here in Canada as I had been welcomed in my French church over there. Could I welcome outsiders with a wild abandon to Southridge as they welcomed me uh, years ago? Uh, our church puts a lot of effort into to hosting some spectacular events. Every year we have our Harvest Celebration in Vineland. Uh, we have the Global Leadership Summit here at uh, Glenridge, so events like that. We have our calendars chock full of exhilarating worship nights, a website plastered with a list of, of partnerships, initiatives, sub-organizations, conferences, libraries, and spiritual materials, a plethora of resources to help build their connections and community with each other and with Jesus. But as I learned in, in France, this, sometimes this is, uh, this is not enough, or, or maybe counterintuitively, uh, it could be too much. Um, to radically transform the lives of both lifelong churchgoers and members of the wider community, we must cross a simple chasm. We have to go from the beautiful but safe side of the chasm that is a pre-mediated institutional hospitality to the dangerous and unpredictable side of intimate hospitality. Jesus wanted to live as, lived, us to live as he lived, you know. He wanted us to. God became flesh and lived among us to teach us how to treat ourselves uh, on earth as we should. So what did he, what did he really teach us? I can preach about this, you know, all day and it's all well and good, but what actual practical steps can we take uh, so that we may live in a thriving community here on earth? Well, we know that when Jesus engages followers, he liked to get to know them over a warm meal. In fact, Jesus liked to eat a lot. He was a bit of a, bit of a first century foodie. Uh, he has mentioned eating 14 times in the New Testament. And he mentions eating and food in almost every single parable that he tells in the Bible. If you weren't a carpenter, I bet he owned a restaurant, but that's kind of uh, for different theologians to debate, I guess. Uh, in the book of Matthew, he even, <laughs> he even cursed a fig tree after he saw that it didn't bear any fruit for him. I think that's modern day equivalent of like kicking a vending machine, you know, when you can't get a, a snack out when you paid the, paid the money. But uh, anyway, the point is he loved food and he loved eating. It's important to note too that he never ate alone. He always either fasted or waited for his friends to get back from, uh, from their missions or from uh, you know, from their, their work or whatever, to eat with them, which is another kind of revealing fact about life he wanted us to live. And two of Jesus' most famous encounters with the Gentiles, uh, the members of the non-church community in Judea, uh, the non-Jewish, excuse me, community in Judea. Uh, he had dinner with Zacchaeus, a tax collector, and he shared a drink with a Samaritan woman in a well-known, uh, uh, with a Samaritan woman in a well in the town of Sychar. Both these encounters began with Jesus humbly asking for hospitality. He was a homeless man after all. Uh, and both these encounters ended with the non-believers becoming believers in Jesus and his power. Twice here, and in many other cases throughout the Bible, Jesus demonstrates his, uh, the power of the table and the life-changing, transformative aspects uh, of sharing a meal can have on a group of people. His life was about intimate hospitality, not institutional hospitality, and that is, you can see that throughout the whole New Testament. Even in our personal lives, uh, we have developed elaborate rituals for hospitality. In my family, for example, anyone, 
anyone, whether they are strangers or friends and family, when they come to the house, we have to clean the house, clean the main floor, the bathrooms, the bedrooms, we clean everything. If they come for a meal, it's even more elaborate and complicated. I don't know if my mom would agree with this, but I've noticed over the years when we have people over to eat, there's like five ranking systems of different people who come to order. Uh, if people come over from work for dinner, like for my mom or dad's work, that's the highest ranking system. So like we have we clean the house, fine china, you know, house is clean for a week, we're ready, kids are best behavior in their rooms, you know, entertain themselves. Then you have kind of like grandparents, they're like the next level of hospitality. Maybe not quite as, as, as intense of a, of a cleaning and cooking effort, but still, still pretty high. Then you have like uh, cousins and aunts and uncles and friends and family. And finally, there's like FedEx delivery people, like just don't warrant any kind of special greeting at all. Uh, but, you know, I think we can all relate to this. You know, the, the idea of people coming into our house and we receiving them uh, ritualistically. Our intentions behind throwing these elaborate, you know, three-act plays called dinner parties or having company over is good. Uh, both the host and the guests perform their roles to be respectful and to be kind to their counterpart. In Jesus' time, it was even common to provide a servant to wash the feet of the guest uh, to make them feel respected. Uh, so it's not a new phenomenon. But I think that we have the habit of taking these customs too far and making them too formal. Our fear of upsetting one another and the status quo blocks the prospect of honest conversation, speaking truth to one another, and it hinders the development of our relationships as Jesus intended. If we do away with these elaborate rituals, maybe we'll get rid of some of the apprehension that comes uh, with hosting or attending a meal uh, with others and allow us to crack the code of experiencing intimacy with each other in this way. So how can we do this? Well, we simply need to ask ourselves, I think we need to ask ourselves, what is the biggest personal barrier we have to sharing a meal with someone? Uh, for me, I think, and for many people out there, um, it is time. You know, we don't have time to have company over. Uh, I mentioned the grueling process, you know, earlier about uh, having people over and how it would take a whole day. You know, the cleaning, the cooking, the talking, the behaving, and all of a sudden, boom, you spend half the day hosting a meal and you're exhausted and you feel like I never want to do this again. That's how I feel sometimes. I'm sure sometimes it's better, sometimes it's worse, but I think we've all been there where we have just the fear of having people over because it's going to consume our whole time and the opportunity cost there is, is intense. I think we can all agree, though, that there is some pretty big fat to trim off this, this ritual. You know, we don't need to cook so much or clean so much or, or be as, as stiff to the, to the norms of, of societal welcoming. Um, if you're worried, you're, yeah, it's just, you know, uh, you have to go back to the core of it. If, you, if you're worried, God says if you're worried that your sister or mother-in-law or brother is going to judge you based on the state of your kitchen or the, or the quality of your food, Honestly, just, just don't invite them. Uh, Jesus tells us in Luke 14, he literally says in Luke 14, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be a repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the cripple, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. That's right. If you're entitled guests... Uh, if you give off even a whiff of disdain at the welcome you provide, kick them right out. Like, don't even let them in here. That is what they're saying here because, you know, they say this is something, they see this in the transactional nature. If they say or if they indicate the fact that this is a transaction, they expect something in return, give and take. That's not what, uh, they need to be poisoned. That's not what this is about. It's just poison that way. Invite only those who you know will appreciate what you serve to them, not out of magnanimity or charity, of a knowledge that anything less than a spirit of mutual, unconditional kindness between you and the guests would ruin a sense of community that Jesus wants to establish here. We were instructed clearly in Romans to live in harmony with one another, 
Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. For guests at the table, for us guests, uh, Jesus has a lot of ideas on how we can also do our part meetings, meetings uh, eating and meals more meaningful. Uh, while we always need to be honest with our hosts, we can't be picky about the setting and about what we are served at the table. This may seem a bit petty, but you know, um, Jesus commands us, if you enter a town and they welcome you, eat whatever is set before you. Uh, Apostle Paul says the same thing to the churchgoers in Corinth. He says, uh, if, you're an if an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat anything set before you without raising questions of conscience. So yeah, if you have dietary restrictions, obviously these need to be accommodated, but I'm sorry guys, if you're a picky eater, I mean, you've got to suck it up and eat those Brussels sprouts. There's not, uh, there's not a way out here. Be good, be good guests. Uh, be polite guests. Don't let that politeness take you too far, but obviously be, um, be good guests in that way. Another way we can help recenter our community around the dinner table, as Jesus intended, is to normalize the practice of inviting ourselves over for supper at someone else's home. Before we went to France, the very idea of uh, having someone over for dinner, of inviting myself over to someone else's for dinner, uh, seemed kind of selfish and rude. You know, we just don't do that here very much. Uh, what if my surprised host doesn't have enough food for me? What if the home isn't cleaned? Uh, what if, you know, there's underwear all over the, over the house? This all happened before, and it's, it could be embarrassing. But again, these are all excuses we use to disengage from community. And in being considerate of others by not inviting ourselves over for a meal, we are considering only the material issues of the proposition, not the spiritual consequences. My friends in France taught me that I can ask myself over to their kitchens anytime I want, just as Jesus frequently did. My youth group, for example, once barged in unannounced on a family of six from church who wrote to eat dinner. Uh, and her host took, took it in stride and graciously fed us and leftovers in the fridge as we sat with her family. Because she realized that the value, I think, of the conversation and the interaction with her family, with us, was, was way, way more uh, valuable than the imposition of our, of our time on her time that evening. This happened so common over there, and it really changed my perspective on how to, taught me how to invite myself over for dinner and how to accept those who impose themselves on me, not as impositions, but as opportunities. Uh, another time, I think, was uh, I had two new exchange students attend my church for the first time, and my friend suggested I invite them for lunch because her kitchen was broken and she couldn't do it herself. Very convenient for her, I guess. Uh, and the only things I had in my kitchen were some apples, peanut butter, uh, some broccoli, and some, uh, some, some black beans. Uh, and I had no restaurants open or no groceries open because it was Sunday in France and nothing's open on Sundays. Um, so I fed them an apple, broccoli, and black bean stir-fry with peanut butter sauce, which smelled interesting, to put it mildly. Uh, they were skeptical, but all apprehension disappeared completely when I told these guests, who were all French, that uh, this was a Canadian delicacy. And they steadily reevaluated this lunch as a cultural experience. So, as I mentioned earlier, Jesus had no misgivings about inviting himself over for a meal. And the thought of having Jesus for dinner becomes a lot more complicated when you realize that wherever he goes, 12 homeless, hungry men, to probably dirty men as well, follow right behind him. Let's stop being uncomfortable by asking others to serve us. If they are truly our neighbors, they will do whatever they can do for us. And it is our job to be grateful. Finally, finally. Jesus gives us his greatest lesson in how to use sharing a meal together to honor him and one another by teaching us how to receive communion. Many of us know the drill and the reasons behind what we do uh, when we do communion, the action of remembrance. Uh, we eat the bread and drink the wine or grape juice to remind us of the flesh Jesus sacrificed and the blood he spilled to give us the right to spend eternal life with him uh, in heaven. However, we traditionally receive communion in a church setting, uh, you know, like here and in our place of worship. Uh, but let's not forget that the first communion took place in a dining room, much like yours and mine. 
uh, how meaningful would our feasts become if, uh, if we could have a communion in a place like that, in our home, um, in a restaurant, wherever we share a meal together with our neighbors. And teaching us how to be practice communion, uh, Jesus gives us the ultimate goal to help us bind us at the table, no matter, the ultimate tool, excuse me, to help us bind together at the table, no matter the differences in opinion or differences in, 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 in religion or, or wealth or status. If we begin each meal in genuine, in genuine celebration of Jesus' love for us by receiving communion, we could settle our restless souls and calm our anxious hearts and allow us ourselves to enjoy each other's company as God intended, unlocking the true power of the table. What steps can you take to experience the power of meals in your life? Let us be people in following the way of Jesus who don't just settle for the institutional hospitality of our church, but radically pursue intimate hospitality as a church by leveraging the incredible power of the tables in our lives. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray for uh, the salvation of everybody in this room, everybody in our lives around the world, that you would reach them, uh, that you would, uh, you, would, you would touch them in a way that changes their lives forever and makes them realize that it is only through you that we can be saved. Help us to have the courage this week and throughout the rest of our lives to, to meet those strangers, to engage others, uh, and inviting them over for a meal at our homes or at a, at a third space, or invite us over to their place, to their, to their home, to their restaurant uh, for a meal themselves. Uh, you know, to help us to be, to break down the barriers of hospitality in our culture and to lift up others by also being generous with their time in preparing meals and eating, taking the time to eat with them and get to know them. Help us to remember that the food and the setting is not important at all and that uh, the most important thing is, is the intention behind, you know, the, the motivation behind uh, having a meal and eating together uh, to get to know each other in a genuine way as you intended for us always. Bless your coming weeks ahead. Thank you for everybody who's here and present this morning or online or, or wherever they're watching church today and uh, give us a good week. Amen.